Live streaming is on. All right. We're live on Monero Talk. Uh, we're going to be doing an episode today on the recent upgrade of Monero. Um, Monero upgraded, I don't know, what is it now, a week ago, two weeks ago? It's all, it's all a big blur in crypto land. <laughs> uh, but the, the hope is to, now that we're a little bit more into it, um, to kind of now get a, get a better, better look at uh, how things are going um uh specifically with uh random x so today on the show we have justin uh aka samsung galaxy player he's the organizer of the monero community work group he also runs the other monero show monero coffee chat the original monero show uh which uh it uh does a a monthly a monthly episode with uh uh doers in the monero space typically uh, monero developers uh, we have uh, JT Grassi on. JT Grassi is a Monero dev. Uh, he works on lots of things in the Monero community. He could uh, give us further details on uh, what I guess what he's currently working on. Uh, we had a very good show with, with JT Grassi. It's been some time now. I guess a, few, uh, a while back now. But uh, anybody watching this, I recommend you might want to go back and check that one out again. That was a great show where we uh, we went into the perfectly binding versus the uh, perfectly blinding uh, and whether or not that's actually a legitimate concern to have regarding Monero. So that's something that often comes up. So I recommend anybody who who's uh, curious about that to go and check that show out. Uh, we also have Howard Chu on. Uh, Howard Chu is the, uh, I guess we could say, can we say the inventor of RandomX? Uh, the creator of RandomX. And he worked obviously with others, specifically uh, Tevador, who I believed uh, was instrumental in helping him actually implement RandomX. Uh, so we got these three guys on, and uh, we'll get into the Monero upgrade. So I don't know if, Justin, if you want to give a quick uh, overview of exactly what the Monero upgrade entailed, uh, kind of like a, a zoomed-out overview of every, everything that was included, sure. and then we can get into the specifics. Sure, if you like. Um, so last Saturday, there was a network upgrade for Monero, and it came with a, you know, a substantial number of improvements uh, to the GUI and the CLI release. Uh, you know, of course, other softwares um, like MyMonero, CakeWallet, Monero also updated uh, for the release. Um, of course, the largest release, which uh, we're going to talk about a good amount today, is RandomX, which is a new proof-of-work algorithm for Monero that is meant to be ASIC resistant and to provide additional um, competition essentially within the CPU mining market. So that's a, a very large change uh, to Monero. Of course, within the GUI, it comes with things like better tail support, better user experience support. The GUI did not ship with built-in I2P support as was hoped. That will come at a later point release, unfortunately. Um, there just was there's too many nuances going on in the background to make that happen. But there is easier integration with uh, I2P and Tor for the CLI wallet. So users of the advanced tool can more easily connect to the Monero network. Along with that, there were other bug fixes. Uh, some researchers from Stanford did a timing analysis on Zcash and Monero. And the improvements were safely disclosed and patched in the latest Monero release. Um, and then, you know, 
huge number of translations, of course, that came in. Uh, there's one thing that's really cool is the new pay-for-use RPC system. This is not something that most users will probably use, but it means that if you're running a wallet and are using someone else's node, they may request that you mine in your local computer to help compensate the node providing you services. Um, so that's just another really cool addition. And then in terms of infrastructure in the community, payment IDs uh, in their long form were deprecated. So exchanges, wallets, other services upgraded in order to use sub addresses or integrated addresses, both of which are significantly better, especially sub addresses. So these are some of the really large changes in, in the feature. And then um, I guess one last one, one last one that I want to mention is that if you're using the simple mode of the GUI, it means that it more easily connects to the rest of the network in a more decentralized fashion because it automatically finds nodes to connect to rather than using a, a you know, a pre-shared list or relying on one entity to provide a list. So yeah, those are some of the big updates. It came in two waves. There was 0 0.15, 0 0.00, and then there was later 0 0.15.01 uh, or 0 0.1. And uh, the last one just came with a few bug fixes and additional security improvements that came out around that time period. So that's a nice overview. Um, most exchanges and pools have upgraded at this point, but there are a handful perhaps that haven't, usually pretty small ones. But overall, it seems like the, the network has done a good job upgrading, and we have all these really cool features now. Great. Thank you. The, uh, the pay-for-service system, what, how did that come about? What was the um, kind of the impetus of that, and um, what, what will who will be using that? Sure. So really... I believe most of the pressure was from people like Gingeropolis. Uh, perhaps Gingeropolis himself was the, the main person championing this. Um, it was an idea that was floated around how could we compensate nodes for running without, you know, of course, taking something out of a block award, which would be absurd. So uh, we said, hey, Monero has a mining algorithm, even before RandomX, but especially with RandomX, that allows CPUs to be, you know, within a realm of competition. Um, and now, of course, they are competitive. So it allowed, um, you know, the idea came up, it was tested for a substantial period of time on the Monero World Services. They had uh, what they called a premium service where you could, uh, you know, test out this RPC service. And uh, to my knowledge, it has not been widely implemented anywhere, but it's an option that's available. And it's a service that people can certainly build into. And, um, you know, it's not going to make node operators rich, but it'll it'll nevertheless still allow them to perhaps spin up a few more servers that they otherwise would not. Very cool. the The long payment ID. So obviously that's that's something that's um, been in the works for a while, I guess. Um, so are, are, did we see any issues with any exchanges like not not essentially not wanting to do that, or is it just? Um... Anybody um, that matters ha has already done it. I will say, like, since we still allowed integrated addresses to be included, like, uh, there wasn't that much pushback in terms of people who are really preferring the long payment IDs. They really suck from a user experience perspective, from a blockchain bulk perspective, and, and really every possible reason they sucked. Um, so integrated addresses had no downsides and were better in every way, <laughs> right? Sub addresses have... Uh, some additional downsides, but they're 
even better in other ways. So the fact that we allowed people to use integrated addresses means that they're able to switch to a better system at literally no downside. So the only pushback we really received was in terms of people you know, disgruntled that they needed to upgrade and, and change their systems a little teeny tiny bit because ultimately the change was not very large. I will say it was a little disappointing to see a lot of services that we tried to warn ahead of time upgrade as soon as the release was available. They really waited closer until around fork time, perhaps after the fork in order to upgrade. So that led to unnecessary downtime. Um, so it was frustrating from that perspective, but we didn't receive pushback from people really um, saying, oh, I wish this really annoying field was still a user experience nightmare, right? Mm -hmm. So while we're on the topic of exchanges, um, I, I guess we've been seeing uh, in the news uh, some exchanges dr dropping Monero. Um, we're he you know, rumored, rumor is it's because of privacy reasons. Uh, do we know that's the case? Could it also potentially be because of uh, exchanges not wanting to work with Monero uh, at, uh, given our, our, our frequent upgrades or one thing has nothing to do with the other and it's probably just due to the privacy. Um, compared to all the other work they do, I think that the upgrades they needed in this this case were quite minor. Um, so, I mean, I mean, you saw Binance like run out updates in like a day or two. Like, it, it really wasn't that much work. But um, I think, I, I think from my perspective, and I work in compliance, but I'm not a lawyer. Um, that I think it's mostly a compliance perception issue. It's not necessarily any clear indication that it's not something you can do. I think it's just exchanges so concerned about signaling in any way they can that they're on the right side of compliance, that they're going to and, and have to some extent, especially in other jurisdictions, said Monero is sort of the, the main target. So we're just going to ignore that for now. And that might still be the case, but I, mean, I don't know if you want to have a full conversation on compliance today, but um, I can speak to that if you're really interested, but um, there certainly is what I would call a perception issue in the industry rather than a significant, clear, uh, you know, rule-based compliance issue. Mm -hmm. uh, how about you guys? Are you guys concerned at all? JT Grassi, Howard, is there any concern about uh, the recent um, dropping of Monero from exchanges? Do you see that as being a, an issue or just kind of a... A, t a temporary uh, growing pain. I mean, I, I don't see it as an issue, personally. I mean, I think what we're talking about, is it one or is it two now? Very small exchanges that have, that have dropped it. Um, yeah, at the same time, we've picked up four or five other exchanges. Yeah, yes. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly. I, I think it's, it's a storm in a teapot. Um, on Twitter, and uh, how about kind of this this thought that that uh, you know being removed from exchanges also isn't necessarily the worst thing? Do you guys have an opinion there? You know, so the idea being, uh, you know, Monero is it's is it's obviously it's 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 protocol. It's it's meant for uh, exchanging value, and uh, potentially maybe if, if it's really working as well, it's supposed to be working, and if 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 governments are fearful of it, then uh, maybe it's not the worst thing when we see an indication of it working, 
because you know exchanges are dropping it for for these reasons. Do you guys have any opinion well, on that? So, so I don't I don't ascribe to these kind of views that like something is good or bad just because uh, exchanges at the moment are either listing or delisting it. Like, let's take a step back for a moment. The success of Monero isn't bound by whether governments accept or don't accept Monero. Uh, the success of Monero is if it is useful for people, if people can use it. And if that means that they exchange it via decentralized exchanges or they exchange it on the big exchanges like the Binances of the world, I I don't I don't see these as being valid metrics as whether it's been a success or not because of, because a couple of exchanges drop it and a load of exchanges now accept it. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's any uh, indication as to its kind of uh, its its nature of of being uh, you know you know private like uh, is is it kind of proving that it works to a degree potentially? <laughs> I think the exchanges that are dropping it are dropping it out of ignorance. So using their judgment as a yardstick doesn't really give you much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's a good way of putting it. Um, and I, and anybody know if there's any progress being made? I know we had heard that Tari, uh, I think along with others, I think Cake was involved in that as well, uh, was investing in doing uh, legal research and basically coming up I guess with the framework for exchanges, uh, a legal framework that they can use to confidently uh, add Monero and kind of navigate the the regulatory space. Does anybody know if there's any progress being made on that? Um, I can jump in here. So uh, my employer is DB Chain. I'm actually involved in this initiative too. Um, so um, I'm familiar with where it is in the process. So we've been going back and forth on several drafts and um, we still have a main goal of providing an argument for why Monero meets all these requirements that people have. Uh, to a similar extent, I recently merged a um, blog post on the Get Monero website in terms of how the travel rule applies to Monero. And um, hopefully that'll be up soon if people think that it's useful. Um, so it really, just goes through the existing regulations and says, okay, well, this is how it can be applied. This is how it can be interpreted because everyone has different ways of interpreting things. Um, you know, the, the white paper is what, is what they're calling it, um, needs to be, uh, it needs to reflect several things. It needs to talk about what the FATF is saying. It needs to talk about what FinCEN is saying. It needs to talk about what um, other jurisdictions are saying because everyone implements their own rules different ways. And also one really key point too, is that the, uh, the white paper is not just about Monero. Monero is included and we're making arguments that perhaps might only apply to Monero um, in the case of you know, fungible assets or assets that are private by default, um, might, might be that type of instance. But we're very careful in wording this, the, the, the white paper in a way that encompasses other assets and really does the work such that it promotes the privacy ecosystem including Monero, of course, as a part of it, but we want to make sure that we address the whole privacy narrative head on rather than saying, you know, you know, privacy is whatever, but Monero is okay, right? We want to say, 
tribal community systems is okay and this is how you can address this um, from a regulatory perspective or from uh, you know person at an exchange as part of another process so um, yeah it is ongoing um, we have regular calls it's not ready for release yet but I, I can assure you that we're working with a well-known firm on a law firm in order to put this together and we're receiving feedback not only from people in the Monero community that you are thinking of, but also you know other exchange services and even services that provide um, you know services you would not expect to support this type of, of, of white paper. So um, I can't say much about every participant, but I think that they want their name in the paper when it's released. So you'll see some uh, a quite wide array of. Uh, different stakeholders involved, and I think that's pretty cool. All right, yeah, I'm, I'm hearing uh, an animal or a small child in the background somewhere. I don't know if anybody else is hearing that. Is, yeah, is sorry, everybody that's okay? My, that's my cat. <laughs> that's your cat. Okay. She wants some attention. Okay. Um, put her on. Let's let's get her on the show. <laughs> okay. There you go. Can you see her? Beautiful <laughs> cat. Oh yeah, she's a sweetheart. So uh, you know, so we we diverted a little bit there, but I I, I did want to talk about that topic because it's you know it's something that obviously a lot of a lot of people watching Monero care about. But uh, I think uh, thanks thanks for touching upon that. Um, so let, let's go back to the to the upgrade. So obviously uh, the biggest component of the upgrade was was RandomX. Uh, it seems like it, it's it's already. Uh, been a been a great success but uh i guess now that we're you know a week or two in um do we have any do we have any data to to kind of confirm that that do we do we know it's obviously we know asics aren't on it yet uh but uh what what are things looking like now that we're kind of uh you know more than a a few minutes in um how's the data (laughs) looking well, like the, I suppose the most interesting statistics are, you know, the hash rate and the number of miners. If you looked at the mining pool stats just before the fork, there were about 40,000 unique mining addresses. And right now we're at about 27 or 28,000. So, you know, we've lost about a quarter of our miners uh, from the upgrade. And now that number is still slowly increasing. So that probably means just a, no, a large number that we lost just didn't upgrade in time. And they're upgrading slowly as we go. Um, but aside from that, so the, you know, the network hash rate now is like 770, 780 mega hashes a second. Um, so what, what was that compared to the hash rate before? Oh, before. Uh, Okay. So remember that, that the random X hash rate is not directly comparable to the kryptonite hash rate, but you know, before it was hovering around 250 to 300. Okay. And, um, so if you look at, for example, NVIDIA GPUs, their performance increases a small amount between Kryptonite and RandomX. And uh, AMD GPUs uh, performance either stayed the same or got slower. And CPUs generally got like seven to 10 times faster. Right? So, you know, with, with that much variance, it's kind of hard to say exactly what our mix of miners is right now, but probably what we're looking at is um, at least 50% are CPUs, you know, and uh, the 
probably the number, uh, the hash rate will continue to increase to at least one giga hash per second. That's my guess. All right. And, you know, that's, that's also just based on the fact, you know, we're at 700 something right now. We have three quarters of the number of miners. You know, when we get back to 40,000 miners, we'll probably get back to, you know, uh, 30% more hash rate than where we are right now. Excellent. Um, how about, uh, you, you know, there's talk of, uh, you know, I guess uh, mining bots and whether or not um, we're going to see an increase or a decrease. Um, what, what, what's, what's your take there uh, now that, that we're in it? Uh, you know, I mean, the existence of botnets uh, kind of predates mining, predates cryptocurrency. Uh, I, I think, you know, the numbers aren't really going to change that much. Uh, you know, it's, it's entirely based on uh, how good sysadmins are and how, you know, how faithfully people install updates on their machines. And that's really all it comes down to. Uh, now, in the case of, you know, old machines sitting in a closet that people have forgotten about, you know, if, if anything's out there that's so old that it's got less than four gigs of RAM, that's, it's not going to be running a random X miner anyway, it just won't be able to. So there's, there's a good, good case to be said that uh, the size of mining botnets on random X will actually be smaller than, than it was before. Mm-hmm. Uh, it probably won't be larger simply because, you know, it all depends on, you know, how well patched systems are. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you guys have any opinion there? Justin, Jethro, do you guys? I, I have a quick comment. So Kevador, who's one of the individuals who did, a, you know, of course, ton of work to get RandomX out the door, created a uh, RandomX malware sniffer. So what it, it's a program that sysadmins and, of course, you know, end users could use in order to detect RandomX malware on their computers. So um, it, it's it's great because you know it's highly reliable. In order to get around it, malware needs the, the malware needs to be like one to five percent effective compared to what it could be and or they need to modify the entire operating system so it's a really good way to help sysadmins catch um, random x miners it's it's very nice yeah i I was just going to add actually the 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 two gigahertz the two gigabyte data sets as well um you know this this is not insignificant um when you're talking about uh botnets really you want to hide the mining and it's pretty difficult to hide a process that's using two gigabytes of ram um so i've heard this botnet argument ever since i first got into monero and and i don't i've I've never really had any never been given any evidence to suggest that it's significant um there's been a couple of studies um over the last couple of years that have that tried to put a number on the amount of um, uh, malware miners there are for Monero. And, and in both of those studies cases, it was a pretty small amount. Um, I, I don't see anything with RandomX that's going to, that's going to, that suggests that that number is going to grow. If anything, I, I'd agree, I, I'd agree with Howard that uh, if anything, it's probably going to increase. Mm-hmm. And uh, is that should, should that even be something we would ever even be concerned about? I mean, 
why should we even care uh, if there are uh, mining bots out there? I mean, is it something we should strive to prevent or why, why are they even bad? I mean, I understand it's, it's, it's bad for the person whose computer has been taken over, but is that really Monero's problem? Is that, um, you know, is there any opinion there as to... It depends kind of, on how you define everything. If you mean Monero's problem in terms of the network, no, it's not really Monero's problem. Most likely assuming that you don't have a single enormous malicious botnet that actually does a successful attack. But in terms of the optics surrounding Monero, it could be Monero's problem. And that's why we have the malware response worker. That's why we have people in the Monero community that are trying to address this straight on and say, hey, this is the wrong narrative. We're here to help you change that so you're right it depends on how you define things you're it's not from a really strict perspective Monero's problem but it's related to Monero and I think that it's good that we do what we can to address it and I think that we've done a, a quite amazing job compared to really any other project um, like what other projects have a group of people dedicated to preventing mining malware and have made antivirus that catches it and have devised a system from the ground up to help prevent it from happening. Like it, it's it's quite comprehensive here. Yeah, I think I think one of the bigger attack surfaces that we've faced in the last, you know, from a from a optics perspective and from a discussion perspective has definitely been people suggesting that the change to RandomX means that we're now um, uh, susceptible to fifty one percent attacks because because, hey, data centers, and because, hey, governments and supercomputers. I think that, that, that's, been a, that's, been a, that's been a big um, strain of discussion recently um, without any substance behind it, I'll add. Um, the malware piece, no, I, I'd, I'd agree with Justin there. It, it's not. I think Justin said it much more in a much more grown-up way than I would have done. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's Monero's problem at all if there are people uh, mining with uh, botnets. It's you know ultimately everybody's responsible for their own computer, and if they and they you know downloaded a malicious piece of software that happens to be mining on it, it's certainly not uh, the Monero uh, Monero developers or community's fault that that's happening. Um, but yeah, from an optics perspective, I, I'd agree with Justin as well. But, yeah, know, just it, an, another point that, that we've expressed in the past. Um, at, at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be a lot of non-secured computers out there. You know, there's going to be people who haven't patched. There's there's nothing we can do about that. And you know, when you look at all the possible things that a malware botnet could be doing, you know, mining. Monero is probably one of the most benign activities it could be doing. So, you know, there's, you know, as opposed to, you know, actively stealing users' data or, you know, deploying uh, ransomware and all these other possible things that could happen with an infected computer, you know, botnets are really the, the least harmful thing you could think of. Yeah, I think that, that that's a good point. So it kind of at least puts them to a somewhat productive use, a less nefarious use potentially. Exactly. Oh, one other note I want to mention here. Um, first of all, you know, again, uh, you know, I really can't 
can't state enough how how much of random X's work you know is owed to Tevador. All right. Um, you know, we we work together on the the predecessor, the random JS, all right, but it's really the random X was all uh Tevador's own uh concepts. Um and the other thing just on this topic, uh just to note is uh Trend Micro has acknowledged that they're going to integrate random X sniffer into their antivirus product. So that's very that's cool. Good, good first step. And while we're changing topics of uh, discussion, I, I'd also like to add um, with the fork, and I'm sure I'm sure that you'll both agree as well. All three of you will agree that the this time with this fork, it went incredibly smoothly compared to to all of the other um, releases. Um, I, I, I guess I'd just like to add really to that that although for the the end users the the change was relatively smooth or certainly a lot smoother than our last releases but that's in large thanks to, to people like howard who for certainly for the the weeks in the run-up to the fork had a, a lot of um late nights debugging various things um <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't don't remind me <laughs> sorry, but it, <laughs> but but it but it, it's it's the thing it's the bit that people don't see and and here's the here's the thing like like yes like we do owe an awful lot of thanks to Tevador but but you do yourself a disservice as well people don't see the amount of work that you've also put into this um, and uh, you know from from idea um, right through to bug fixing at, at, at the last you know the, at the 11th hour just before just before uh, the fork goes live so i well, very quickly have one question for howard do you know if trend micro is going to do a press release for that because i think that'd be really cool uh i don't know i only saw tevador mentioning it on irc and i haven't seen any other details yet so okay. I'll oh, ask I'll him. Sure. sure yeah, so, yeah, I apologize for not uh, stressing Tevador more, and uh, we'll definitely from here on out. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks obviously to all of you. So, um, so is uh, is is Tevador? Obviously, he's 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 quite satisfied, I'm sure, with the uh, with the results so far. Um, are is there any potential, or is there any thoughts yet at the, how how RandomX might be? potentially tweaked or that's not even a uh, discussion yet. There's no, there's no thinking along those lines. Uh, you mean tweaked like all of the previous POW tweaks or something else? Something else like seeing, you know, is, is there potential tweaks that might happen? Um, or is the whole idea it, you know, it was, it is, it is what it is and it's either going to work or it's not. Well, okay, uh, you know, to some extent, yeah, it is what it is. But uh, obviously, we expect, you know, technology will continue to advance, right? Uh, at some point in the future, we will probably want to increase the size, the size of the data set from like two gigs to four gigs, or, you know, other simple things like that, simply because, you know, CPUs will be coming out with larger and larger caches down the road. And, uh, stuff like that. So yeah, you know, there there are things that we can tune and tweak over time. 
uh, as the technology advances? Yeah, I think um, I think there's probably going to be a lot of work as well in terms of mining optimization. So I know that Setch has already spent quite a lot of time trying to optimize for ARM, for example, ARM devices. Um, and I I think so far there's not been there's not really been a huge amount of work on minor implementations. We've we've kind of got XMR rig, which is which is fantastic. Um, I, I expect work to continue there on trying to optimize for mining, but but I, I I don't know that there's going to be a huge amount of change to the implementation of RandomX itself. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, so yeah, Chernik, he's he's still looking at other optimizations, but uh, you know, if you look at what what he's been turning up over the past few days, we're looking at improvements on the order of. 0.1% to 1%. I mean, there's there's not a lot of uh, wiggle room in there. Yeah. And so now that RandomX is, is in the wild, um, do we potentially see kind of um, new use cases for, for mining or new ways? So like, for example, uh, you know, will my refrigerator one day be mining Monero potentially? <laughs> or, uh, you know... They, they, Talks like that, you know, there, there's been that talk kind of like the Internet of Things potentially, uh, you know, becoming miners. Um, I think even in at the Denver conference, there was talk of uh, drones uh, potentially mining Monero one day. Uh, so now now that RandomX is live and working, do you see these things potentially happening? I'm not, I'm not going to be happy until Howard's violin. oh man you know the last time i played an electronic violin i hated the sound of it so this this you could be waiting a long time there justin uh but but okay you know the i mean i i scoffed at the whole internet of things thing but you know certainly the drones that were presented in the denver conference you know had the cpu and memory requirements and maybe a, a rational use case where if they're going to be charging overnight if they're going to be plugged into power anyway i mean it, it might make sense uh something that makes a lot of sense for me here now in ireland as we go into winter is uh you know electric space heaters um that are miners i mean that it, it almost becomes too obvious you know it's like you got a miner and most of the time, you know, you're worried about putting enough fans or cooling systems on it to keep the thing running cool enough, and it's dumping out all this waste heat. Uh, you know, it, it could be very practical if you're in a place where you already use electrically powered heating uh, to run a miner instead for your heating supplies. Uh you guys, you guys have any further comments on that, on this uh, potential other uses now that RandomX is in the wild? Yeah, I've got something much more boring than that. I, I mean, <laughs> I'd, I'd, like to see, I'd like to see RandomX used as a benchmarking tool for CPUs. Um, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's perfect for that. It, it seems like the perfect tool for benchmarking CPUs. Oh, definitely. And uh, I've actually asked a couple of benchmarking sites to start adding it to their test suites. You know, just like in the past when I asked them to add kryptonite to their test suites and a few of them picked them up. So I, I imagine that that will become more common in the future. 
and then hopefully along with that hopefully we'll start seeing some uh, some some great new arm cpus coming out as well yeah i've 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 been waiting for, for a really good a good arm arm cpu spec to, to show up so far i've been fairly disappointed because most of the cpus that you see being built uh are still very weak on the cache uh, cache specifications is there any way to quantify how decentralized the monero network is or will there one day be a way to kind of quantify that and kind of proclaim that Monero is effectively more decentralized than something like Bitcoin um, rather than just <laughs> hypothesizing. Uh, is there any way to kind of prove that? Well, I think in those comparisons, you generally look at the mining stats or the mining pool stats. And, um, you know, we, we can look at that right now and say, oh, yeah, you know, they're the largest Monero mining pool only has 30% of the hash power and um, the next one after that only has 10% or something like that. And, and we can say, yeah, there, there doesn't look to be a dangerous buildup or centralization of hash power in any particular mining pool. Um, but to compare that to Bitcoin, you know, our, our entire network population is still so much smaller than theirs. You know, so I, I don't know if that's a fair comparison to make at this point in time. One thing that was interesting that I saw on these stats is um, there used to be a large chunk of unknown hash rate on the mining pool stats, you know, and we would attribute that to botnets and other such things, uh, solo miners perhaps. And after the fork, you know, that number dropped to like less than a single digit. So, so that was a pretty major change. Do you guys have any comments on that? So, I mean, I, I'd agree. It's hard to quantify. Um, and I, I also don't like the, the drawing the comparison to Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin is a completely different mining, apart from it being obviously much larger, it's a completely different uh, mining ecosystem. Um, as we know, it's dominated by, uh, you know, a couple of manufacturers of devices for mining. Um, and we know that the RandomX um device range is is much vaster i mean we're talking apart from the apart from the ryzen potentially being our our uh, our, our our asset um we've still got obviously lots of internal chips even the old xeons um mobile phones now as well um that are, that are able to mine it um so from a hardware perspective, we're, we're certainly more, more decentralized. And in terms of the pool space as well, I'd agree. I, I don't think, I don't think there's, uh, there's anything particularly concerning with the hash rate distribution of the, of the pools at the moment either. Do we uh, suspect that other coins might be uh, taking a step in this direction as well? Now that they see random X working, do you guys think uh others are going to be experimenting with things like this i think it's inevitable and, and it, i mean we're already seeing it i mean yeah. loki switched uh, before us uh wow Nero implemented it are we have been playing with it um i think it's only inevitable that more that more that more currencies are going to come out and use it yeah um the z classic developers have actually reached out to me a couple times about helping them adopt it uh, which I haven't done yet, but 
Uh, so yeah, definitely other other coin projects are are interested um, aside from the ones who you know already switched before we got there, like uh, Loki and One Arrow. So how about the uh, the the naysayers in the Monero community that weren't uh, big fans going in? Um, are are we seeing any uh, kind of a, a acceptance now that that it's live with RandomX? Uh, is there any chatter regarding that? So I think this is a difficult one because it's slightly nuanced. There there was um, there was a obviously a large group of existing GPU miners that naturally um, were not over the moon about um, a new algorithm that was going to favour something other than a GPU. Um, there was also so you know a, a strong view that we couldn't continue with these um, these six monthly tweaks to Kryptonite. Um, for a number of reasons, and actually, I think I think pretty much across the board, everybody agreed on, on that premise that that wasn't a wasn't a wasn't a way that we could continue with the proof of work was by changing it every six months. Um, there's there's still a group of people that um, view ASICs as an, an inevitability and um, feel that the that the most sensible route is to adopt a very ASIC friendly algorithm. Um, but I think largely, like if, if you if you take these groups, uh, like largely I think everybody's behind RandomX, to be quite honest. Uh, a lot of the GPU miners have quietened down now and have accepted accepted the situation, are updating their rigs, selling their GPUs. Um, we're certainly hearing a lot less uh, volatility from the GPU miners at the moment, although there is still obviously the occasional one that pops up. Um, and there, and there is still discussion around whether you know whether ASICs are are, are an inevitability, and and therefore we should adopt it. I mean, that's that's going to be a discussion that's not going to die. It's not going to it's not going to suddenly go just because we we've, we've got an algorithm right now that. Um, certainly is ASIC resistant and by all yardsticks at the moment is is doing well. Um, I think I think that, that argument's still going to persist that ASICs are inevitable and I think those viewpoints are I don't necessarily agree with them, but I I, I understand I understand them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, we we've only deployed for a week. <laughs> you know, it's it's going to be a year before people can actually, you know, have anything concrete to talk about as far as whether ASICs show up or not. Right? This, you know, th- this is still early days. Well, they're not here yet, so we're it's 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 a success. <laughs> um, I was surprised though um, that there wasn't more talk about it in the general crypto community. Uh, obviously, in Monero land, everybody knew about it, very excited about it. Uh, but given how big a breakthrough it is, and kind of doing things differently than what any of the other major coins are doing, and successfully doing it, I was really surprised not to kind of see it being discussed more in the general community. Uh, specifically, we had Andreas Antonopoulos on the show, and he wasn't aware about aware of it at all. He uh, still thought Monero was kind of doing its six month, uh, you know, pivots to new proof of work algorithms. Um, 
don't know any 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 remarks there on that as to uh you know why uh we might not why we didn't see greater uh i don't know excitement about it in the in the general crypto community i think if anything it's probably just because so many coins are asic at the moment that the mining community uh, you know hobbyist mining community is so small and it already was concentrated around monero and ethereum like um there weren't many other communities unless you're mining some really small alt but in that case you're probably not even uh, um you're probably more into finding the next big alt than you are into mining in particular you're just you know you have a computer that you happen to mine so I think to some extent it speaks to Monero being one of the only coins that you could have a, a hobbyist community around. Most of the others are large investment companies, um, investment projects at this point. Um, but I do think that on top of that, there was another element where people just generally weren't aware. Um, and I think that might speak to that Monero in a way is kind of isolated from many other cryptocurrency projects, even though it has knowledge outside it's usually knowledge of the privacy feature rather than a proof of work feature um, and those who do bring up monero's proof of work feature typically address it as a negative oh you have these six month hard forks which means it's super centralized or they might say well it's you know never going to work or they're just going against asics which are inevitable so those who do parade monero's proof of work around typically do so in a negative light rather than a positive one so I think those two elements combined mean that it didn't get this type of reach we were sort of looking for. And I guess even a third point is that we had a few, you know, news articles that came out at the beginning of the year about Monero adopting RandomX, and those made, you know, some news. But I think many of those journalists might be waiting to see what actually happens in terms of the network, you know, a few months down the line. They want to write the first article that says, you know, it was either really success, successful or it failed miserably. And so they're sort of waiting, perhaps, um, which at least is my assumption in that case. Um, so I don't know. Monero is a smaller coin than some of the others. It doesn't get as much attention on new releases either. So um, I think all those factors combined might mean why it wasn't super well known outside small hobbyist mining community. Yeah, I, I, just to rephrase that first, you know, it's, you know, we don't, I suppose we don't really do a great job about getting our message out into the world. And then this is such a specialized topic that most people who even heard of it didn't understand what they hear. So that's, you know, there, there's a lot of, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty esoteric, when, you know, when you try and explain the approach. Agreed. So, so it's basically Monero talk's fault for not spreading the, the message well enough. <laughs> That's right. We, we blame you, Doug. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. I mean, I, I'd, I'd, agree. I'd agree with both of those, those comments. Um, like, to be honest, when you hear most of the discussion that goes on in the cryptocurrency space and the kind of news that comes out, it really isn't that detailed in general. So I'm not. I'm actually not hugely surprised that that RandomX isn't hitting, you know, the the main news outlets, the common news outlets. Um, I mean, it's. 
I mean, it's quite it's quite funny when you when you look at the, some of the technology in Monero. I mean, there was a, there's a whole big debate going on in the last couple of days about confidential transactions um, between uh, Peter Woolley and um, you know Bitcoin and um, a couple of other people um, getting involved in that conversation. And it's like they're having discussions that we've been having for years, but they're having them now. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised at all. I think like, you know, a few weeks ago, Coinbase released their largely um, refuted post for, in the Monero community, like Coinbase's views on proof of work security. And even though that was a big deal in the Monero community where you know, Monero Outreach wrote a response to them and many people in the Monero community saw it, I don't think many people in the outside community saw that either. And I don't think they really read it that much or cared. So even when you have coins with blog, not even not coins, sorry, but like large exchanges with blogs that make a, you know, essentially call out Monero, even if they're not directly doing it, even that doesn't get that much exposure. So um, maybe proof of work is just something most people don't really care about at the moment. Well, I think it's, I think in terms, well, I don't think it's a bad thing, though, either. Like, I think in in some ways it shows the maturity of the of the whole sector that that we're not like talking about the the index of every single cryptocurrency out there. Um, obviously, the more uh, the more people are using cryptocurrencies, the audience is wider, and they don't they don't even know what proof of work is. It doesn't matter to them. Um, and I think I think that we're seeing a bit of this in in the mainstream media at the moment. And so when I say mainstream media, I mean I mean the mainstream media within the crypto space. So like the you know uh, Block and um, CoinDesk and places like that. We're seeing a much more diluted, um, less technical, um, less technical articles coming out. And I think that's just going to continue. That trend is going to continue. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Let's talk about the first sec. So, like, uh, I guess Litecoin is 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 looking into adding um, privacy through extension blocks, essentially, and it'll be mm -hmm. kind of uh, my understanding is you'll you'll be able to opt into it, and then I think I think that's what sparked the debate in Bitcoin land. Yeah. Um, and so, in watching that debate. Uh, what's your current take on it? Does it seem uh, likely that Bitcoin will adopt uh, privacy on the protocol level or less likely than that, than ever? I saw, I saw some of that. Oh, I saw some of that debate. And, you know, one of, one of the arguments I saw a Bitcoin proponent uh, put in as far as discussing Litecoin is, you know, Litecoin is going about this the wrong way because they're making it opt-in. And Bitcoin already has opt-in privacy, you know, using layer two, using, you know, private wallets like Wasabi or Samurai and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the in one sense, I have to agree with that perspective. You know, the, the guy commenting there is correct that, you know, Litecoin isn't offering anything advantageous to the Bitcoin community, not not in that approach. Um, but as far as Bitcoin itself 
getting layer one privacy, you know, they, I think they actually recognize that that's the only way it's going to make a difference. But I don't think anyone has said that they're going to go that route. Jethro, would you like to comment there? Yeah, I, I thought that's exactly that's exactly what I was going to say. I mean, I, 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 I can't see anything as fundamental like uh, adding privacy at the base layer of Bitcoin. I just can't see it. I just can't see it happening. I mean, everything that does happen with Bitcoin seems to happen a slowly um, and b. Um, yeah, they don't want to do. They don't want to do anything through a hard fork. So, and but I also think that the that the people working on it are intelligent enough to know that they're, they're not going to like. You can't just bolt it on. Um, it it's not something that can that can be added easily in any way, shape, or form. So I, I don't see it happening. I think I think we're just going to see. A continuation of when it comes to privacy and Bitcoin, it's all going to be discussion about layer two. It's going to be Lightning. Everybody's going to keep using Lightning as an example, or Wasabi, CoinJoin. Um, but yeah, yeah, I agree with Jethro there. I think that generally, I mean, we saw recently a, a pushback on Twitter and on Reddit and other areas that people push back of confidential transactions, which to be clear is a misleading name. You can think of it as confidential amounts uh, because it just hides the amounts. But in order to make this happen, you're going to upset a substantial large number of Bitcoin holders. And, you know, we, we have people that strongly advocate for privacy in Bitcoin, but at the same time, we need to say, it doesn't look like it's actually going to be added in a meaningful way. It's going to be put on layer two. So, from my perspective, I, I don't imagine that meaningful privacy will be added to the base layer for, um, you know, many good reasons, frankly, that you want to have a stable protocol, that there's disagreement, um, that a lot of people think the transparency is good. So for all those reasons and more, it's just not going to be added. Um, I think such an overwhelmingly clear consensus would need to be the case for Bitcoin to add privacy, which many people say is good. Um, you want people to agree on something, but ultimately in the interim, we're stuck with a system that kind of sucks from that regard and probably won't change. Yeah, I, and, and I'd also say, like, I, I, don't think, I don't think it needs to be added to the base layer for Bitcoin either. I think, you know, I, I don't think it's a bad argument that, that stuff like light privacy or, you know, private transactions can't be built out on a second layer. I don't think there's there's anything particularly wrong with that. Um, and I think there are good arguments for, for having a transparent blockchain as well. I mean, there, there, there are certainly use cases for it. I mean, I would love to see Bitcoin used by government for government spending, for example. I would love that transparency of, uh, of my tax dollars being, being used. Um, so I think there are use cases, and, and, I, and I certainly think that it's possible to build something on top of Bitcoin um, that does add a level of uh, privacy. But, um, but at the base layer, no. Hey, can, can we pursue that thread a little bit further? Um, uh, you know, I have a hard time envisioning a world where a transparent digital currency has any, you know, 
valid use. You know, in in the case where we say, okay, let's let's make the government use a transparent coin, uh, and let's let everybody else, let's let you know regular citizens use a private coin. You know, let's imagine a world where there's Bitcoin and Monero and nothing else. But you wind up saying, okay, well, here I am, a private citizen. I'm going to start paying my taxes in Monero, but somebody has to convert them to Bitcoin for the government to actually accept them. And then you get into the problem where, you know, whoever is doing that transfer from Monero into Bitcoin becomes a, uh, an information broker because they know who everybody is who's transfer, you know, transferring their data, transferring their coins back and forth. And so the, they become, you know, a point, a point of attack where you can start de-anonymizing Monero payments. You know, I, I just don't see, you know, the, I see an inherent incompatibility there. I think that's valid too. I think, I think that is valid. So Howard, then what do you see? So, so then what is the future? It's, we're, we're, <laughs> what's your opinion on, on what that looks like then? Um, okay, well, you know, I suppose in, in the ideal world, we're, we're just all using private money. Uh, the, you know, again, with Monero, you know, we've got view keys, you know, we have auditability as opt-in. Uh, I think that should be good enough you know, for the, for the case of, you know, I want to, I want to know what my government is spending on and the, those sorts of things, but an entirely transparent chain that, you know, we have to swap in and out of, I, I think that's, that's a liability. I think like generally, you know, taking a small step back, Bitcoin without confidential transactions, something that hides the amounts means that issues aren't just on it's not as simple as saying on chain it's transparent second layer it's private because you leak the amount of data like metadata just throughout the entire process so without that i just can't imagine anything other than an incredibly messy and ugly setup for privacy even for systems that otherwise would be very private but just keep talking to and are reliant on this transparent chain, just I, I can't really wrap my head around that ever working as well as anyone would hope. I think that's absolutely right. I think that, like, so Wasabi and uh, and Samurai. I mean, they're they're a great example of exactly what you're talking about here. Um, we're talking about great technology in in theory uh, of being private. In reality, they're actually not that good at all. Um, so, so I think any second layer solutions are going to have to work really damn hard to, to actually solve that problem. Howard, you had brought up, I believe it was you had brought up on Reddit in a, a comment to a thread, um, about, uh, Monero's throughput versus Bitcoin's throughput. Was that you that had discussed that? Oh, maybe <laughs> at some point <laughs> in the past. Yeah, I, I just thought that was a really uh, interesting. It was something that I hadn't heard before, um, but it was interesting how you described it, because obviously it's often stated that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, Monero 
and you know, there's a lot of things to be said about this. Monero doesn't scale uh, as as well uh, as uh, you know, um, and then you know the the just the transaction rate. Uh, but if you look at it in terms of just pure throughput, um, it there's things to be said how Monero might actually be even currently more efficient uh, than than Bitcoin if you take into account the fact that to use Bitcoin properly, if you want actual fungibility, there's a lot of extra transactions that need to take place to to make your your money fun, fungible. So right. am, I, am I getting right. that right? Like, yeah, yeah, that that's 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 pretty much the essence of it. Yeah. So um, you know, people say you know, Monero is less scalable than Bitcoin because right now the average Monero transaction is like five times larger than a Bitcoin transaction. And, um, you know, I, I guess that's true today. Uh, and, you know, that might improve in the near future when we get these uh, even more compact signature schemes that the Monero Research Lab is working on. But, you know, right now today, um, you, you have to counterbalance the fact that Okay, Monero transactions are five times larger than Bitcoins, but also, you know, a Monero transaction does more than a single Bitcoin transaction. You know, if you want to actually transact privately on Bitcoin, it takes you more transactions. You know, you have to shuffle coins into a new wallet. You have to send them to a mixer. You have to put them in this coin join system. Uh, you know, you have to do a lot more extra steps it involves a lot more on-chain transactions to actually attempt to make a Bitcoin coin clean, right? And so, you know, in in a world where, you know, all else being equal, you know, the Monero network is going to be getting more work done per transaction. And then on top of that, you know, the, the Monero block time is actually five times faster than Bitcoins and Monero blocks are dynamic sized. So that really says we've got a lot more room to grow. And, you know, even if we didn't have dynamic block sizes, uh, the fact that we have five times larger transactions is exactly canceled out by the fact that we have five times faster blocks. Any comments there, guys? I thought, I thought that was a, a great way of looking at things. <laughs> No comments for me. <laughs> no, no, no argument from me. <laughs> uh, I guess this is a good time to uh, just do a shout out to our sponsors. So uh, Cake Wallet, uh, it's the, the the iOS wallet that we always recommend on the show. Open open source and uh, trusted and vetted by the community. And XMR.to, uh, it's the easiest way to seamlessly convert your Monero into Bitcoin. So. Uh, wherever uh you know bitcoin is accepted you could essentially use monero to, to send to a to a bitcoin address and uh, xmr.to is integrated into cake wallet so it makes for a nice a usable experience um i guess back to the the upgrades so are we going to now move move ahead with or move forward to the yearly upgrades is that i know there's a lot of talk about that has that been decided yet or so that it, it, it was brought up actually in, I think it was the last uh, dev meeting. I mean, generally everybody wants a longer, longer than six months. Like six months is 
it's, it goes by incredibly fast. And there, there has been historically an awful lot of work involved in doing these releases. Um, they've got a lot easier, though, with the work that uh, the charlatan's been doing uh, with the reproducible builds, which puts uh, a lot less onus on Fluffy Pony. Um, and I, I don't know that there's, there's certainly no hard agreement, but, but the general consensus seems to be, you know, nine months to a year, something along that kind of time frame. And we certainly still want to be doing um, releases. We don't want to be, I got into a big debate with somebody arguing about Bitcoin and the fact that they never want to see a, ever want to ever see a hard fork. Um, but actually they served us really well. Um, we're still a very young cryptocurrency. And by saying that we're not going to do upgrades, um, even if, even if we force ourselves into saying we're not, you know, we're not going to do them every year, I think is, is probably a bad thing for us. They've served us well to be able to do them frequently, but at the same time, they've been a headache. Um, so I think I think we're probably looking at nine months, nine to twelve months between between major releases. That's probably fair. Um, you know, th there's I, I guess we have to distinguish, you know, non non protocol changing software upgrades and you know consensus protocol changing because we probably will st uh, still keep on putting out new releases every six months. We just won't necessarily hard fork with them every six months. Justin, you got any comment there? Yeah, absolutely. So we, have, we can distinguish between hard fork network upgrade releases and here's a nice set of features you should use but aren't required to or else you get booted from the network upgrades. And the latter will still continue. I think that there is a decent amount of consensus currently that we can, you know, in a relatively short time period, start switching to less frequent network upgrade releases. And um, I think that will likely come, the, uh, I think to some extent it's dependent on what feature sets are available. If, you know, like for example, within the next six months, there's a good chance that CLSAGs, uh, compact um, signatures, um, compact linear something something signatures, will be um, implemented in Monero, and um, those will further reduce transaction size or further increase efficiency. Those are things that we can envision actually happening in six months, and if we can make it happen, it would be good to have an accompanying upgrade. Um, beyond that, there's nothing else that's really set in stone yet. Um, you know, there's several different zero knowledge proof systems that are, you know, being debated like Tripsitch or Triptitch and, um, you know, a few others, OmniRing, um, RingCT 3.0, Lolantis. So there's many conversations going on, but none of these meet all the requirements that we need yet. So there isn't a clear seal sag in six months, uh, what, you know, RingCT 3.0 in a year, right? Like we can't say that designation. So it might, be more accurately like seal sag in six months and then wait a year and then if something's available then we do something then so that that might be more realistic and we might take advantage of the fact that there's not something currently you know immediately available so let's also take the advantage of having a more stable release cycle so um 
ideally, you know, if, if we had something right now, we would probably want to do it again in about a six month time frame, but we don't yet. So um, that's still up in the air. Um, but there's certainly many exciting updates that are potential and we're really hoping will materialize. And that's why no one's saying we're done with updates forever because there's still work to do. <laughs> Yeah, you know, in in Bitcoin land, the ossification of the protocol is kind of uh, lauded as 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 a real positive, as an achievement. Um, do you do you think that there's that's what everyone there uh, truly in their gut believes, or just they don't have the the ability to to upgrade if they wanted to? I mean, because that that ship has mm -hmm. sailed. I mean, I see, I see it as a uh, uh, in Monero. I mean, it's it's really it's it's culturally acceptable to to kind of have these network upgrades and that's what allows them to happen and i see that as a as a real positive not you know um the the ability to to grow and evolve uh and, until you get digital cash you know right which is going to which is going to take some time whereas in bitcoin they say no uh the ossification is you know it's essential and it's a great thing and we've arrived there um, do you guys have any opinions on that? Know, Justin, you look like you're, uh, yeah, I think to some extent, uh, the high, I'm going to call it in theory, the really high barrier to upgrade is a good thing. Um, you know, Bitcoin certainly has that better than anyone else where something would genuinely need to be a fantastic feature to be added. So you might say from that perspective, it's a, it's a good thing. Um, I do, however, think that it's sort of gone to such an extreme that, no good idea is going to be changed, um, you know, or, or implemented, even if there are no disadvantages, they're probably going to choose to do a, a purposely less controversial method for something that shouldn't be controversial anyway. But, uh, but you know, on the other hand, I think it's good that they have, or, or at least are cognizant of these potential sources of conflict and want to try and avoid them. Um, but in Monero's case specifically, I think that, it's done a decent job for its size at managing uh, and building a culture around these upgrades. I think if Monero were larger, I think I would still, at least in the current state, like to see it continue to do regular network upgrades. Um, you know, if the size of each were switched, but um, you know, with the caveat that there are advantages for both, and I'd like the trade-off to be a little bit more towards the center rather than you know either far extreme that. You know, people usually talked about in debates, whether it's nothing or, oh, well, someone just snaps their fingers and it happens. Like it, the reality is not really either case. And I think those who talk about Monero's frequent updates as a disadvantage generally aren't involved in a day-to-day -day basis or even staying involved enough to know that this, it really isn't one person just making a decision. It's long conversations that are really frustrating sometimes from my perspective, but are nevertheless really good for the community's perspective. So. You know, I, I like to think of it as really neither extreme. It's good to have a culture accepting of good updates and willing to make trade-offs, I think, is, is a big part, as long as, you know, most people think they're pretty reasonable. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I'd I just add that I think there's, I think there's something to be said for the actual cycle as well. Like, I think that, that kind of agreement that there's a, a, a regular upgrade um, 
like I, I think it's I think it serves everybody really well to know in advance. Hey, there is going to be an upgrade in six months. You can, if you're a business, you can plan ahead. Make sure you've got resources on board to to do the upgrade. So, for example, exchanges could have, uh, uh, like I, like Justin and I and others raised our eyebrows a little to see a couple of exchanges uh, shutting down while we did our upgrade this time. Um, in, in all fairness, they could have planned well in advance for the, for the upgrade and, and, and not needed to close at all uh, during that window. And um, so I think, I think the cycle serves really well. How quickly that cycle is, is really the debate here. Um, I, I, I certainly don't, I don't think moving now to, uh, to to where Bitcoin is, where it's basically no upgrade, or there might be an upgrade at some point down the road, but it's going to be damn hard for them to agree on on doing it. Um, so I, we're we're definitely not there yet. All right. Yeah, I've, I've kind of I went through all my questions. You guys have any other uh, any other comments, remarks? Not really. I just want to say that the theme of this upgrade was really that, you know, it was quiet and easy and not suspenseful at all. <laughs> following, <laughs> you know, following the suspense of Monero's website being compromised for 35 minutes when we're all of our, all of us are scrambling and then we have the network upgrade and just silence. Like we were, we were doing the coffee chat. We mined the next block like a minute or so later. Like we didn't wait for an hour like last time. It was, it was way too smooth. <laughs> well yeah as as uh as jt alluded to you know we we had already bled heavily on that sort of transition on the test net over this past summer <laughs> so yeah yeah but i'm glad it was uh i'm glad it was pain-free for everybody else yeah. oh yeah from my perspective it was great thank you Howard. <laughs> Hey, you know, from my perspective too, I was I was actually you know on on Thanksgiving vacation when the actual uh, fork happened. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually that's that's a really good point. I was kind of expecting, like based on all the the previous upgrades, I was kind of expecting there to be another last minute point release, but um, we were we were lucky this time. Well, we actually were well enough prepared, and you know the the. The immediately preceding upgrade, you know, was chaotic because we rushed it by a month, right? Uh, we had we had scheduled it for for one date, and then everyone said, "Oh, you know, ASICs are an impending disaster. We we need to upgrade faster." And so that threw all of our timetables off. I and, um, Yeah. So you know. So yeah. This this time we actually had a schedule that we stuck to. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. Th uh, thank you, guys. Uh, job well done. Obviously, it was a uh, very smooth, very smooth transition. Um, Random X, exciting to see it in the wild. And uh, yeah, thanks for everybody coming on the show. And uh, hope to have you guys on again soon. Uh, maybe in the next six months or a year. I guess we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks, Doug. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Appreciate you. it. Yeah, bye. All right. Bye. bye. Good evening. Back to the pub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
Back to the pub. See y'all. See you later, man. Bye.